Deadbeat Scroll by Mark Coggins is slick, sardonic, and suspenseful. Everything a great thriller should be, says New York Times bestselling author Lee Child. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 19 The Gray Earl I was less than ten paces from the elevator on the twelfth floor of the flood building when the door to Duckworth Investigative Solutions opened and Gretchen stepped out. She hurried down the corridor but stopped short when she caught sight of me. I didn't think you'd get here this fast. What part of I'll be there in five minutes wasn't clear? The part where I triple any time estimate you give me. It's known as the Reardon Factor. She was wearing chiffon harem pants with a form-fitting blouse. All black, naturally. You didn't leave Ray alone in the office, did you? Yes. He wanted Earl Grey tea, and we didn't have any. I was going to borrow some from a neighbor. Why? You worried he'll steal the paper clips? Steal them? No, solder them together, maybe. She peered into my face. There's something wrong, isn't there? Just about everything. I tried to give a coherent, level-headed description of the last 36 hours, beginning with my visit to Arnie Jewell and ending with my conversation with Wong. But when I got to the part about discovering Tu Yin, my narration jumped track. They tortured her before they killed her, And then they kidnapped Angelina, and they may have tortured her, too. Gretchen's face became pale behind her makeup. August, no. Are you certain? Dead certain. She pulled me close. What's going on? What do they want? I drew in a ragged breath. No idea. Why didn't you call me? I wanted to, but I didn't think I should bother you at home. Okay. We both knew that bother you at home was code for antagonize your urologist husband. He had just about forbidden her to see me by the time I left San Francisco. She gave me a squeeze and took a step back. But this doesn't add up. If they've recovered this fabulous unpublished Kerouac manuscript, why would they take her? Why wouldn't they just leave town? There's a certain irony to your observation. The last time I spoke to Angelina, she was also worried they had already left town, that we would never catch them. There's something we're missing, something we don't understand. Have you told me everything? Nearly everything. I fleshed out the story of searching Angelina's hotel room and finished with my tay-to-tay with Wong. She shook her head. That doesn't help. But maybe there's hope. If there's something else they want, maybe they took Angelina for leverage. Maybe they'll contact us to trade. The only contact I've had is pot shots taken at me from across the street. I agree that shooting at you isn't a great way to start negotiations, but things might have changed between when they ambushed you and when they took Angelina. It's possible. Any developments on your side? 
The door to Duckworth Investigative Solutions opened before Gretchen could respond. A teacup crossed the threshold, followed by a spindly arm attached to a stooped old man with thinning gray hair and a Santa Claus beard. He was wearing khaki pants rubbed thin from many washings and a ratty cardigan sweater. My neighbor Ray. I thought I heard voices, he said. I was wondering about the Earl Grey. Give your damn tea a rest, I snapped. And what are you doing here anyway? Yes, I had a pleasant trip. Thank you for asking. I let my chin drop to my chest. Sorry. Things are not going well. We just lost our client, the one who originally hired my partner. Lost her how? She's been kidnapped. He nodded and combed his beard with bony fingers. Did you get involved with her too? Ray! Gretchen struggled mightily to suppress a smile and failed just as mightily. Even from this short acquaintance, I can see that Ray has a keen insight into human nature. She pointed at the office door. Let's take this show inside, and I do have instant cocoa. Would that be okay? Of course, said Ray. Ray and I filed through the door and took seats in front of Gretchen's desk, while she took Ray's cup over to an electric tea kettle on a small table along the back wall and doctored it up. She passed the cup to Ray when she was finished, then slipped into her chair. Well, boys, let's try to have a constructive conversation, shall we? Where's the Luger? I asked. Ray pointed behind him. In the other office, with your holster. And I brought your knife and your ankle sheath, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. But I have to ask, why did you bring yourself as well? I told you this wasn't your sort of thing. Nonsense. I can help. Have already helped, in fact. How exactly? He leaned onto a hip and pulled a folded envelope from his back pocket. This is the letter you received, and this is the key it contained. He dumped the key onto the desk with a clatter. I took the envelope from him, examined it, then passed it to Gretchen. It was definitely Chris's writing. The key didn't mean anything to me. As Ray had suggested on the phone, it was smaller than a house key and it looked like it went to a padlock. But what padlock and why it was important, I didn't have a clue. I'm guessing there's a punchline. Ray grunted and hoisted himself to his feet. He reached into a bulging front pocket and pulled out a shiny new padlock, which he placed on the desk in front of me. Viola, he said, and fell into his seat. If that's the padlock the key fits, I don't see the point in Chris's mailing it to us. It's not the very padlock, but it's the same brand and model. I went to a big box hardware store and looked at every padlock they had in the place until I found one that matched the key. It's a top-of-the-line number with a solid body and a case-hardened shank. Something in the back of my brain squirmed. I didn't exactly recognize the brand of the lock or know what Chris might have used it for, but I felt I should. Okay, I'm getting a bit of deja vu, but I'm not sure why. Ahem, said Gretchen. You asked me in the hallway if there were any developments from my side. That's right. I agreed, 
thankful not to have the two of them staring at me while I tried to place the lock. I've been making arrangements for Chris's funeral. It hadn't even occurred to me, and I felt terrible for not assisting. Thank you, Gretchen. The first thing I did was call Chris's lawyer to see if he had left funeral instructions in his will. He had. They are quite involved. The lawyer also told me that we are both beneficiaries. That's not... Gretchen held up her hand. And we can learn about the terms when it's convenient and appropriate. But he also said that Chris had recently sent him an envelope to be delivered to you in the event of his death. Do you have it? She reached into her desk drawer and extracted a smallish square envelope. My name in Chris's writing was the only thing written on the front. How come the lawyer didn't tell me before now? He tried, but he didn't have any luck reaching you in Palm Springs, and he didn't want to trust it to the mail. I took the envelope with a shaking hand and greedily ripped it open. The only thing inside was a card with Ticking Time Bomb written on one side. I slumped back into my chair and pressed my hands into the sides of my head. What? Gretchen and Ray asked in unison. I know where the padlock is. It's on a storage unit in China Basin. Chris rented it for us when we had trouble with... I groped for the right euphemism, with the people from Argentina. Gretchen's eyes met mine in a knowing look, but Ray said, What people from Argentina? It's a long story, Ray, and not a pretty one. It's the reason I came to Palm Springs, and the reason Chris and I fell out. But if this, uh, incident is associated with such bad memories, why would Duckworth keep the storage unit? Because he had to. I flipped the card onto the desk so Ray could read it. The storage unit was a crime scene, a crime that we committed. No matter how well we cleaned it, we were worried a determined forensic team would still uncover evidence. We decided we couldn't afford to let another tenant get a hold of the unit for a while. So Chris agreed to keep it. But on the night we all went our separate ways, he called it a ticking time bomb because of the lingering risk. Okay, said Gretchen. I get that he was trying to communicate in a way that only you would understand. But why did he send the key and the card by separate means? He was being extra careful, said Ray. If one or the other thing was intercepted, it wouldn't mean anything, even to Reardon, apparently. But what could be in the storage unit, asked Gretchen. Nothing to do with the Argentines. No, we disposed of everything we could dispose of. We were worried about a forensic team finding microscopic amounts of blood with a luminol test. If there's anything in there now, it's something to do with this case that Chris wanted us to see. Gretchen and I watched as Ray hoisted himself to his feet again and walked into Chris's office. When he returned, he was carrying my holstered luger and my knife in its sheath. He held them out to me. There's only one way to find out. You have been listening to The Deadbeat Scroll, a book the New York Journal of Books described as a glorious potpourri of violence, black humor, sex, 
and a hunt for a lost manuscript. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.